You're listening to the Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the Word. Welcome to the Bonefire Podcast, everyone. We are so glad that you're joining us for another episode of the Bonefire Podcast. If you are joining us, you are listening to a Bible study, Bible conversation podcast uh, that we put on each and every week as we dive into God's Word and study and try to apply biblical truths to uh, to our lives. Um, if you are listening, I encourage you, as always, to please subscribe and download. You can do that by going to any of the podcast applications and, and hitting that subscribe button, and your episodes will be d- downloaded to your mobile device. Device every week as we release. I'd also encourage you to, to connect with us on Facebook. You can go there and see all the episodes, give you a place to uh, start a conversation around some of the stuff that we're talking about. And then as always, we want to ask you to share this with a friend or a family member. Uh, tell someone about the Bonefire Podcast. We'd really like to see uh, this get out further than it is right now. We're, we're thankful for all the listeners that we have, but we'd love to see our listening body grow. Well, Dad, um, we are doing a same-day release. So this is Palm Sunday. Uh, we're mm-hmm. recording, and it's going to be released just a couple hours from from, from now, so we've got a lot of work to get done in a short period of time. But yesterday, we, we were able to do the cross-country 5K uh, that we've been advertising here on the podcast. Right. Uh, we were one of the sponsors there uh, for that race, and it was just a great race. Uh, we had a great time um, uh, getting out and, and meeting some of the, the people who were there, and so we want to thank all of you who supported it. I do want to send a special thanks and shout-out to Bonefire listener Ryan Settle. Um, he contacted me, and, and he's been making some custom duck calls, and he heard that we were going to be doing some giveaways, and so he made a custom duck call out of olive wood from Bethlehem and donated it to us uh, to give away. So, Ryan, thank you for your craftsmanship and your generosity. Um, that was a great uh, gift that we were able to give out there. And, again, just a great time uh, watching people lay their burdens down at the cross. That's right. It was a beautiful uh, duck call sounded good too. That's exa- exactly right. Exactly right. So, um, well, as we get ready to get started, we did take a week off last week coming out of our series uh, when we were looking at the coming king, the Lion of Judah, and uh, studying end times. And so I'd encourage you, if you haven't had an opportunity to go through that entire series, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. And again, please share that with someone around you. Um, right now, the topic of end time events and what's going to happen just before Christ's return is really at the top of mind for a lot of people. We discussed that in that episode about uh, so much activity online and, and people searching mm-hmm. for answers. And so we hope that uh, that uh, series would bring a lot of answers uh, to a lot of people. So be sure if you haven't finished that, finish that up and then tell someone about it so that they can find that. Um, we're going to be kicking off today a kind of a two-part series, a mini-series, if you will, um, as we enter into Holy Week or Passion Week. And you know, Dad, this uh, week has such, uh, such meaning, and it's not because of the dates on the calendar or uh, Easter eggs or Easter bunnies or, or Easter ham or anything like that. Right. You know, it's about the real reason uh, that we take this time uh, to, to remember, to reflect, and to meditate on the events that changed the course of history, mm-hmm. that really altered eternity forever, really. Right. Um, and these events that we're talking about, of course, is the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, there are going to be lives that will never be the same because of that week. That's and right. My life's one of those. My life will never be the same because of what happened uh, there on that first uh, Easter week, uh, that Passion Week or Holy Week. And so That's right. we're going to be talking about um, Easter in, the, in these next two episodes, and we'll be focusing in specifically on 
um, the cross and, and what happened there. You know, I think most of our listeners, Dad, I dare say, they can tell the Easter story front to back. Um, they know it quite well. They can talk of Jesus's triumphal entry. They can speak of the upper room, the garden, the betrayal, the trial, the death sentence, the scourging, the crown of thorns, the cross, the Via Della Rosa, Calvary or Golgotha, the nails, the thieves, the darkness, the spear, the earthquake, and the empty tomb. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those things. There's just so much that can be said about Easter. And, right. You know, really, uh, Easter shouldn't be something that we are the resurrection of Jesus Christ and death, burial, and resurrection is something we shouldn't just spend one week on. That's right. right. This should, we should be in a moment of, of Easter all year long as we're focusing mm-hmm. on this. And, uh, but today, and, and in these next two episodes, we're going to focus in on the cross. And we're going to focus mm-hmm. in on Jesus being on the cross. Dad, the Bible tells us that um, our Lord spent about six hours on the cross. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I believe it was uh, he was crucified about 9 a.m. Is, is, is what we would say. And, and he was there till three mm-hmm. uh, in the afternoon is, is, is what we learned from Scripture here. And so six agonizing hours on the cross. And as Jesus hung there uh, suffering and dying, he uttered seven sayings. And it was painful, you know, for him to even breathe. And so for each one of these words to be spoken, he paid a heavy price for it. That's right. And I think it's something that we need to look closely at because those words were words that were important. They were impactful. They were powerful. Mm -hmm. There's something that we can learn from those. You know, dying words are always important. Oftentimes we remember... um, what a person says on their deathbed more than what they said during their life. Mm -hmm. And so these last seven sayings of Christ on the cross, they have to be important and they have to contain key revelations. And so um, as we dive into the the scripture, let's look at these seven sayings that Jesus said while he was on the cross. And dad, I believe you're going to share the first one of these sayings on the cross. That's right. Luke chapter 23, verse 34 records for us the first thing that came from Jesus' lips. Now, before examining it, I want us to look at verse 33, the verse that comes just before uh, verse 34. The Bible says, And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him, meaning crucified Jesus and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Just imagine the scene, if you will. After having his back ripped to shreds with a cruel whip, after having his beard pulled out, and been struck repeatedly in the face after being taunted by soldiers and mocked and ridiculed by the crowd, after being made to carry across up a hill and having fallen under its weight, after being humiliated by having his clothes stripped from him, and after having been nailed to a cross and lifted up to die, the cruelest death imaginable, what does Jesus do? Does he cry out in pity? Does he curse his crucifiers? No. Even though you would expect any man who had went through as much as he had to do so, what does he do then? Verse 34, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The first thing Jesus did while on the cross was pray for those who had crucified him, to pray that God would forgive them. The first word that came from his parched lips while on the cross was a word of intercession. Can you see him interceding for those who caused him so much pain? He was spit on, struck, scourged, slandered. But in spite of all that sinful men did to hurt him, he wouldn't quit loving them. It was such a display of love that it eventually caused a Roman soldier standing by to say, truly, this was the Son of God. Jesus 
with the love that he displayed on the cross serves as a model for us when it comes to how we should treat our enemies, the ones who have wronged us. His prayer for the forgiveness of those who crucified him also serves as an encouragement to us to never regard anybody as beyond the reach of prayers. If Jesus prayed for his murderers, then certainly we should never view someone as a hopeless case. Those of you who have been praying for a long time for a certain person who is deep in sin, maybe it's a wayward child, don't give up. Take encouragement from the example of Jesus. There is no one beyond the reach of prayer. Now, let's just take a moment and examine more thoroughly this word of intercession that came from our Savior's lips just after he was nailed to the cross. To begin with, I want you to see that Jesus, through what he said, fulfilled prophecy. Now, there are many prophecies in the Old Testament concerning Jesus. Most of them have been fulfilled, and the ones that have not been fulfilled yet will be fulfilled when Christ returns as King of kings and Lord of lords. Isaiah 53 is a prophecy related to the death of Jesus on the cross. Isaiah 53, 12, the Bible says of Jesus, who is presented as a suffering servant, that he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. When Jesus interceded or prayed for the people that put him on the cross, he was by doing this fulfilling Isaiah 53, 12. And this verse in Isaiah 53 does not refer to his present ministry of intercession. According to Romans 8, 34, Jesus today is at the right hand of God making intercession for us. Isaiah 53, 12 does not place the suffering servant who we know is Jesus at the right hand of God. Instead, he is placed among transgressors. Jesus was crucified between two thieves. He had a sinner to the left of him, a sinner to the right of him, and sinners before him. The suffering servant told about Isaiah 53, 12, that was to come would pray for the sinners in his midst. Jesus did this. His prayer of intercession while on the cross is just one more Old Testament prophecy that he fulfilled. Just as Jesus prayed for sinners while on the cross, hey, he prays for me and you. He has not abandoned or given up the ministry of intercession. As I shared with you a, a moment ago, Paul tells us in Romans that Christ is praying for us now. Now, that's an encouragement. At this very moment, Jesus may be praying for you to repent and accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. If you're a Christian that has fallen into some certain sin, he may be praying for your spiritual restoration. If you're undergoing some trial, he's truly aware of what you're going through, and he is praying for your deliverance. You can be sure I'm glad Jesus is still praying for transgressors, for I am one, and I need it. Nothing would deter Jesus from his ministry of intercession, not even the cross. God has called you and me to the same ministry. Sometimes when people that used to work in the church become bedridden, they get down on themselves saying, oh, I can't do anything for the Lord anymore. They fail to see that what seems to be a restriction might not be a restriction at all. For if a person would just use the time that he used to spend in other church work to intercede for others, he would find out that even while restricted, he can have a ministry, one that might accomplish more than all of his past service. Jesus prayed for others even when he was restricted, and in so doing, he fulfilled prophecy. And as you will see shortly, his prayer of intercession accomplished much. The second thing I want you to see about this prayer is that not only did Jesus fulfill the Scripture by interceding for those that nailed him to the cross, he identified with people in his prayer from the cross. Look closely at this word of intercession. Jesus prayed, Father, 
forgive them. On no previous occasion had Jesus ever made such a request to the Father. Never before had he invoked the Father's forgiveness of others. Up to this time, he was nailed to the cross. He forgave people himself. I mean, to the sick man with a palsy told about in Matthew 9, 2, he said, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. To the woman who washed his feet with her tears in the house of Simon, he said in Luke 7, 48, Your sins are forgiven. Why then should he now ask the Father to forgive instead of directly pronouncing forgiveness himself? Well, it has to do with the position he took on the cross. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, Jesus, who was sinless, took the position of a sinner so that he could pay the penalty for our sins. Now, before Jesus took the position of a sinner on the cross, Jesus, while he was ministering on earth, he had the right and the power to forgive sins. He even said in Matthew 9, 6, the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. But when he was lifted up from the earth on the cross, he changed from that positionally, you may say, as the Son who had the authority and the power to forgive sin. I mean, he always remained the Son. But he took the sinner's place, is what I'm saying, who can only pray for the forgiveness of sins. He did this, as I said, so that he could be our substitute and pay the penalty for our sins himself. So in looking at the first saying of Jesus on the cross, we've seen Jesus fulfill prophecy, identify with sinners, and next we see he practiced what he taught. Contrary to what a lot of people say, uh, Jesus did not forgive the people that nailed him to the cross right on the spot. As I just pointed out, he didn't say, I forgive you. No, instead, he interceded for the people who put him on the cross, asking the Heavenly Father to forgive them. Now, as we have seen, one reason he did this was because he was in the sinner's place while on the cross. But the main reason he did not say, I forgive you, but rather prayed, asking the Father to forgive them, is because at the time Jesus prayed this prayer of intercession, the people that put him on the cross had not yet repented. For a person to be forgiven of God, he must first of all repent. Jesus, by praying that the Heavenly Father forgive them, was in essence praying that those who nailed him to the cross would come to repentance and ask the Heavenly Father for forgiveness and be forgiven. Now, this brings us to a question. Does the Bible teach that forgiveness is to be pronounced in every circumstance? The answer is absolutely not. As a matter of fact, over in Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4, listen to what Jesus said. He said, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. According to Jesus in verse 3 of chapter 17 of Luke, a condition must be met by an offending brother before we may pronounce forgiveness. The one who has wronged us must first repent, that is, judge his wrong, and give evidence of his sorrow over it. To pronounce forgiveness over a person that has sinned who has not repented would be in effect to condone the offense and therefore fail to uphold the requirements of righteousness. God does not forgive where there is no repentance. Jesus said, unless a man repent, he shall likewise perish. Peter said in Acts 3.19, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Jesus didn't personally forgive his enemies while he was on the cross at that moment, 
because they had not met the condition for forgiveness to be pronounced by him. They had not repented. However, even though Jesus didn't personally forgive them, he didn't harbor malice or hatred in his heart toward them either. He instead loved them and prayed for them, thus putting into practice what he taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus didn't teach one thing and do something else. He was consistent. After he was nailed to the cross, even though he couldn't pronounce personal forgiveness over those who crucified him due to the fact that they were not repentant, he loved them and he prayed for them. Today, when people do us injury, we're not allowed to harbor ill will toward them. Instead, we must love them as Jesus loved them, those people that put him on the cross, and we must pray for them. He is our example for how we are to treat those who hurt us. That's excellent, Dad. And as as we look there, we see Jesus interceding uh, for those who uh, were doing wrong to him, and, and he prayed, as you said, Dad, that they would be uh, forgiven. And, and in the second scene, we see where uh, Jesus takes this from going to a, a, a large group of people that was before him, and now he gets personal with one person uh, who's there on the cross with him, actually. And so we see that his his focus becomes on one needy sinner. The Bible tells us that on that faithful day in history, Jesus was crucified alongside thieves or robbers. The Greek word that was used here um, refers to one who uses violence to rob openly, in contrast to a thief who secretly enters a house and steals. And so, you know, these men likely were guilty of armed robbery and potentially even murder in the process. But this record uh, is not there, as you said, Dad, just to, to kind of fill out the, the description of what happened or to give extra color to the story. It was actually fulfillment of prophecy. Mm-hmm. Um, Isaiah fifty three twelve that you talked about, that's the reason why he's there, because, again, the suffering servant would be numbered with the transgressors. As Jesus hung on the cross, he spoke directly to one of these thieves. I want us to look at the story, and we're going to look at Luke 23. We're going to start back at verse 36, and I'll read that to you guys. Starting at verse 36, the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are king of the Jews, save yourself. And on an inscription also written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who was hung blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive what is due for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to the Lord, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And that's where we find that second saying where Jesus says, Today, you will be with me in paradise. What we have here as we look at this story is Jesus again between two criminals. One criminal decides to join in with the Roman soldiers and the crowds and, and mock Jesus by saying, Hey, if you're, if you're really the Christ, go ahead and take yourself off of that cross and bring us with you when you do it. But the other criminal rebuked him, and and obviously these two knew each other. Maybe they had committed the act together. Who Mm -hmm. knows? For he rebuked him by saying that they were receiving what they deserved, that they were getting the punishment that they they were due, but Jesus had done nothing wrong. Did you see what happened here? Somewhere along the way, something must have convicted this thief of his own vileness 
And when he uh, looked at that against the righteousness of Jesus, it obviously had convicted him because mm-hmm. he seemed different as he hung there on the cross. It m- may be the, the way that Jesus conducted himself on that fateful day. It's obvious that, that he had seen it all unfold. And I, I believe that these two men who were hanging here, crucifixion was something that was almost an everyday occurrence in this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it wasn't something that was handled lightly, though. It was for the, the, the roughest of the rough criminals, but everyone knew about crucifixion. Mm-hmm. And so, no doubt, these these guys who were hanging here, these thieves that were hanging on the cross with Jesus, they had seen people crucified before, and obviously they were experiencing right right then themselves. And they had watched as those who were crucified would curse back and spit on the Roman soldiers who were carrying out the, the execution there that they were supposed to do. But they didn't see that with Jesus. They had watched mm-hmm. him be scourged and, and you know beaten and have his beard plucked from him and a crown of thorns shoved upon him, and never once did they see him fight back or to mm-hmm. say anything that was was evil. You know, instead of curses from his lips, Jesus he actually prayed for forgiveness for his torturers. What he displayed was pure love, and so no doubtably this thief had had noticed that there's something different. He had never seen anything like this, and he recognized that, wait a minute, this is not of anything of this world. It has to be that he is truly the Messiah. He is my Messiah. He is my Savior, mm-hmm. and he is watching his Messiah be put to death. And so with that revelation in mind, he called out to the Lord. He said, Lord, remember me, and I, I want you to be keen on the, the phrase that he used there. He used the term Lord. And so obviously he had identified uh, with Jesus being who he said he was as as the Messiah and that he was referring to him as Lord. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responded and said, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. You know, it's it's a. um this thief illustrates all the elements of salvation. He perceived his own guilt because obviously he said he was getting what he deserved. He knew that he should die because he clearly said mm-hmm. that there. And then he ultimately uh, prayed for forgiveness as, as he called out to Jesus. And ultimately he was going to be with Jesus in paradise. This uh, saying is is a great reminder that no one is ever too lost for God. No doubt this man had committed serious crimes because he found himself on a cross. Mm-hmm. Both of these men had. He probably was the one of the vilest of evildoers at best. Mm-hmm. But as the old hymn says, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. No sin is too great for the grace of God. You know, Dad, the other thing that I saw as I was thinking about this saying is uh, this saying reveals some profound truths that I think that we, we can't glance over here. The first one is salvation is simple. You know, we try to make it so much more difficult than it is, mm-hmm. and I believe that's one of uh, the the Satan's tricks is to to trick people into believing that uh, trusting in Christ and Christianity is hard. Mm-hmm. And, and um, by by any stretch of the imagination, I won't say it's an easy road to follow Christ, but mm-hmm. uh, He gives you all the strength that you need in order to do that. But it's it's not hard. It's just a simple process in order to 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 be saved. This man recognized that. Uh, he was in need of a Savior, and that he was in a rightful place of punishment. He called on Jesus for his forgiveness. So salvation is simple. The next thing that I saw, Dad, that was a key truth here is that salvation is a gift. You know, notice this man had no time to join a church, to be baptized, or to do good works. He was saved by a grace through faith. Ephesians uh, 2 verses 8 through 9 says that we are uh, saved uh, by grace, through faith, not of ourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is a gift of God. And so salvation is a gift. 
And then the third thing that I saw there, Dad, is that salvation yields a reward, and that reward is eternal life. Notice that in Jesus' response, he tells this thief who is speaking to him that today he's going to be with me in paradise, meaning mm-hmm. that, yeah, you're, you're going to suffer death, but there is something beyond death right. that you're going to be able to be with me, and that's eternity that he was given. We all know this. Uh, we learned it as as children, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall have eternal life. And we see that salvation yields the reward of eternal life and an eternal relationship with, with God. But, Dad, there's one last thing that I noticed as I was looking at this is there's a sad truth here is that the other thief, unless there's something happened that's not recorded in Scripture, it doesn't seem that he had a change of heart. That's right. You know, that he rejected Christ. And and so the the last thing that I saw here is a key truth is that there's there's a price for sin. Uh, there's a price to be paid. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And so there there is a price that has to be paid for sin, and Jesus was paying the price for sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that price that was paid uh, still requires that we have to accept it. We have to turn from our sins. We have to repent, as you were saying, in order to to gain um, that uh, forgiveness of sin. Mm-hmm. And so this this other gentleman doesn't appear that he did that. Right. And so when that happens, we have to suffer the penalty of death. Right, and that mm-hmm. death comes in two forms. The Bible talks about the first death and the second death. That sinner um, and that thief who was on the cross that day, he was experiencing the first death. Mm-hmm. He was experiencing the physical death. But as we talked about in our, I think it was our last episode when we talked about the Great White Throne Judgment. Mm-hmm. One day, that thief is going to stand before God. Right. He's going to stand before his Creator. He's going to have to give an account. And I can't imagine that man standing before an Almighty God and saying. You were hanging there on a cross right beside my son, and you rejected him. Right. And then he's going to experience the second death, and the second death is the spiritual death where he will, for all of eternity, spend separation uh, from God in torment. And so um, all of that I got from that one little saying on the cross. It's it's powerful stuff there that that, uh, was said from Jesus on the cross. That's right. You know, uh, one thing that stands out to me, too, is Jesus told this repentant thief, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. And that kind of brings to mind what Paul said uh, in his letter, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There are people out there that believe, well, when you die, maybe you just sleep in the grave. No, 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 no. I mean, look at what Jesus told this thief, and then later on what Paul said, when you are a believer in Christ, you're a born-again child of God, and you breathe your last breath down here, well, you know, you're going to wake up in glory. You're going to be with the Lord Jesus that moment. Uh, There's no such thing as sleeping in the grave. For the child of God, you go immediately to heaven. Your soul does. Yes, your body's buried. And one day, Jesus is going to return in the air and bring with him the souls of those Christians, those departed saints in heaven, and those bodies that is buried that's going to be recreated and be raised. But your soul, the thing that makes you you, when you die as a child of God, you go directly to heaven. And how about that? He went from immense suffering to immediately being in the presence of God where there is no pain. Mm, That's exactly right. Well, Dad, would you uh, share the third saying from the cross? That's right. Well, this third saying is a word of affection spoken by Jesus on behalf of his mother. Now, the Apostle John in his gospel tells us that there were several people who loved Jesus standing near him when he was on the cross. 
John chapter 19, verse 25 says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clophas, and Mary Magdalene. Now, here, when John says stood by the cross, it means that they stood right against the cross. At the most, Jesus' feet would have been about three feet from the ground. These four women then were gathered right at the feet of Jesus within touch of him and an easy sound of his voice. Right along with them stood also another person who really loved Jesus. It was John, the very person who wrote the gospel of John. He was there. John was one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus. He, right along with Peter and James, was a part of the inner circle of disciples. And of this inner circle of disciples, John was the only one who stood at the foot of the cross with Jesus. All the other disciples of Jesus had fled when the soldiers came and arrested Jesus and stayed at distance. In the Bible, John is referred to often as the beloved disciple. He proves how much he loved Jesus when he stood next to him when he was on the cross. The four women that John tells about that were standing along with him at Jesus' feet were there out of their love for Jesus. Mary Magdalene, who is mentioned as being one of these women next to Jesus, would have went through flood and fire for Jesus because Jesus had delivered her from a terrible form of demon possession. Another one of the ladies was Salome, who was a sister to Jesus' mother and who was the mother of James and John, the very John that stood next to Jesus. John then was a cousin of Jesus. There was also a woman referred to as Mary, the wife of Cleophas. Cleophas is believed to be one of the two men that Jesus appeared to on the road to Emmaus following his resurrection. The fourth woman who John mentioned first in verse 25 that was there was Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's interesting that the first mention of Mary in the Gospels was when she was at a wedding, a time of joy. Now, three years later, the next time she is mentioned, uh, she, she is filled with grief, waiting the hours out until the death of her son. Years before, when Jesus was just a baby, Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple to present him to the Lord. While they were there, Jesus, uh, with Jesus, they encountered a man named Simeon, who Luke, in his gospel, said, had received a promise that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. When Simeon saw Joseph and Mary in the temple carrying Jesus, he recognized instantly from the Holy Spirit that they were holding the long-awaited Messiah. After taking him up in his arms and blessing him, uh, Simeon made a prophecy to Mary. Looking at her, he said, Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul. On this day, as she stood there watching her son die, Mary understood what Simeon meant. Because the pain that she was feeling in her soul over watching her son suffer was just as great as if she had been pierced herself with a physical sword. Can you imagine with me the scene at the foot of the cross, the sobs? Folks, the tears, the brokenness exhibited by these few that were standing at Jesus' feet. Thank God that out of all that crowd, there were some people that had compassion on Jesus. Now, this third saying of Jesus on the cross which concerned his mother who was standing at his feet. We're going to look at three things concerning this. We're going to look at the crushing effect that Jesus' death had on Mary, the consideration that Jesus showed toward her, and the change 
that had to begin in their relationship. Notice the crushing effect that Jesus' death had on Mary. Verse 25, once again in John 19, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother. All the disciples of Jesus except for John had deserted him, even Peter, who just hours earlier had said, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you, deserted Jesus. Considering this, what caused Mary to be so long and courageous as to stand with Jesus at the foot of the cross? I'll tell you what it was that caused her to be so courageous. She was motivated by a stronger love than the rest of them, a mother's love. A mother's love for her child is strong. If Mary could have switched places with Jesus, she would have done it. But instead of her taking his place, he was taking her place in the place of all the rest of us when he was on that cross. For he suffered to pay the penalty for sin, not his own sin, for he knew no sin. He suffered to pay the penalty for our sin. How ironic, folks, that Mary would have died for him, but he died for her. Oh, how helpless Mary must have felt that day as she stood at Jesus' feet. She must have felt very helpless that day. What mother in all the world could stand by and watch her son die in agony without having her heart torn to pieces? She was experiencing the sword that Simeon years earlier had said would pierce her soul. Any mother that has experienced the death of her own child knows what Mary must have went through. Well, we've saw the crushing effect of Jesus' crucifixion, but now Notice the consideration that Jesus had for his mother. As the Lord was suffering, his thoughts were on his mother. The people that were at the cross had no consideration for her. In her presence, the crowds mocked Jesus. The thieves taunted him, as Matt just mentioned. And the priests jeered at him, all in the presence of his mother. Jesus, knowing that he was soon to die, could not bear for her to go back to a home where she might have to listen to words from her unbelieving family, which would only add to her grief. As far as we know, Joseph had died sometime before Jesus entered into his public ministry. And at the time of Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus' half-brothers, it does not seem that they were believers at that time. Jesus, while suffering physically on the cross, felt for his mother and what she might be put through upon her return home. So to spare her any additional suffering, Jesus looked down from the cross and gesturing toward John, said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then gesturing toward his mother, he said to John, Behold your mother. While at the cross, Jesus turned the care of his mother over to John. John accepted the responsibility for her because the Bible says in verse 27, From that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Now, This is not saying that John left Jesus after this and took Mary to his house before Jesus' death. The Greek simply states that from that moment, John kept her, meaning he took care of her. During the last of Mary's sojourn on earth, John became to her as a tender, loving son, and she to him as a loving mother. To make such a loving provision for his mother was a tender act of compassion on the part of Jesus for his mother. Most people, when... In trouble, only think of themselves. But while dying in excruciating pain, Jesus doesn't think of himself. He instead thinks of the welfare of his mother and others. And dear friends, it's wonderful to know that the heart that on the cross felt sympathy for Mary 
is the heart that never changes. Jesus never forgets those that love him. He remembers our every deed. He remembers our every deed. Today, as we notice the consideration that Jesus had for his mother, I want to point out to you that as Jesus saw the, after the needs of his mother, so should we that have parents still living see to their needs and take care of them. You know, one of the Ten Commandments concerns children and their parents. Uh, and the scriptures tell us over in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, listen. It says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. This commandment to honor our parents goes far beyond bare obedience. It embraces love and affection, gratitude and respect. Children have an obligation to their parents. When they're old, we're to take care of them as they took care of us when we were young, thus showing our respect and gratitude for them. Hey, let me ask you out there in the audience listening, are you honoring your parents? Does the example of Christ on the cross put you to shame? It may be that you're young and vigorous and your parents are gray-headed and, and infirm. Proverbs 23, 22 says, Despise not thy mother when she's old. It may be that you are rich and they are poor, then fail not to make a provision for them. It may be that they live in a distant state or land, then neglect not to write them words of appreciation and cheer which shall brighten their closing days. These are sacred duties. Honor thy father and thy mother. Hey, this last thing, I want you to see the change that had to begin in Mary and Jesus' relationship. According to verse 26, Notice how Jesus addressed her. He said, woman, behold your son, speaking of John. Now here, he was not showing her disrespect when he called her woman. The Greek word means dear lady, a term of respect. Why did he not call her mother? Why was the parental title replaced by a more general title of respect? It was because the human relationship of mother and son had started to change. He hadn't had already given her a preview of their future relationship soon after he left home and went to preaching. At the wedding where Jesus performed his first miracle, Jesus' mother came to him with a problem. She said, they have no wine. In John 2, 4, Jesus said to her at that time, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. When Jesus left home to begin his ministry, Mary, even though she gave birth to Jesus, started to have a new relationship with him. From that point on, she, like everyone else, needed to look to him as her Lord and Savior, not just as a son, but her Lord and Savior. Today, uh, there, there's a religious group I know that's out there that, that, uh, that looks to Mary as to be divine, prayed to, and worshipped as a friend of sinners. And that's really uh, idolatry. Over in uh, Vichy, France, there's a church called the Church of Mary the Healer. In the dome of this church can be seen a mural of Mary and Jesus with Mary predominating. Around the base of the dome are two messages, one exalting Jesus, the other exalting Mary. One message is a quotation from John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. The other quotation is from St. Bernard, saying, It is God's will 
that we should receive all things through Mary. The first quotation is true. The second is false. In Rome, there's another church dedicated to Mary. It is one of the major churches in the city, the Church of Mary uh, Maggiore. It is the heart of the worship of Mary. In the courtyard of the church is a tall crucifix. On one side of this cross, high and lifted up, is a figure of Christ. On the other side of the cross, back to back with him, nailed to the cross with him, is a figure of Virgin Mary. And this is not just the expression of some artist's exaggerated enthusiasm for Mary. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a certain denomination that actually uh, teaches the immaculate conception of the Virgin Mary and her bodily corporal presence in heaven. They also call her co-redemptrix, which means that Mary is just as much our Redeemer as Christ. Listen, this is totally false. There's not but one Redeemer, and his name is Jesus. And Mary, just like everyone else, had to go through Jesus to be saved. Now, granted, Mary was a blessed woman to have been chosen to give birth to Jesus, but she was not divine. She was a woman highly favored by God, but she was not sinless. The New Testament has nothing to say about Mary being anything other than a woman. As we look in the New Testament, we read much about the church, its doctrine, its work, its worship. But there's not one word in the New Testament about the worship of Mary. But you know what? Aside from that, just getting back to what Jesus said, he showed compassion on the cross for this dear sweet lady that was his mother that brought him into this world, that took care of him, that uh, that kissed his head and, and, and bandaged up his bruised knees. That was his earthly mother. Now, she's not going to be considered to be a co-redemptrix or anything like that in heaven. But Jesus showed his love for Mary, his mother, when he was on the cross. And we're to show the love, uh, our love for our parents, uh, just like Jesus did and follow his example and his last words. Mm. Thanks, Dad, for that. And, you know, as I was listening to you, I was envisioning Jesus on the cross and uh, his earthly mom uh, there watching all of this unfold. And you know, from an apologetic standpoint, you know, defending what we believe in. I think the silence of Mary s- says so much, right? right? Because if anyone knew that he was virgin born, it's Mary, right? Absolutely. And so the fact that she didn't jump up and say, hey, you know, he's not the Messiah. He he he's he may be crazy, but he's not the Messiah. You know, take him down from there. She didn't do that. She no. she could have jumped to to it and said, hey, it's all made up. It's all a story. But she didn't do that. She watched her son be put to death on a cruel Roman cross. And I I just can't help but think of the magnitude of her silence, what that means. Mm -hmm. She knew who he was. She knew what his his ministry was and why he had came. Uh, She may not have understood exactly how it was going at that moment in time, but she knew that he had come to be the Savior of the world. That's right. And so uh, just to just an amazing uh, lesson that we see there. And we're going to uh, wrap it up for this session. Um, we've covered the first three sayings. And as we go into our next episode, we'll cover the the, the final four there. But uh, if you're listening to this during Passion Week, we do want you to take some time and to reflect about um, the time that Jesus spent on the cross. And what we focused on today is there's three examples of while Jesus was on the cross, he was displaying perfect and pure love. He, he expressed love for those who were the ones who were killing him. He was expressing love for that thief that was on the cross. He expressed love for his his mom who was there watching him as he, he struggled 
there at the end of his life. But the whole reason he went to the cross was because he loved you and me. And there was love for you and me there on that cross. And so this week, um, as you uh, take time to, to study and to pray and, and to meditate on, on what this week really means, think about his love. Think about how much love it takes for someone to, to subject themselves to so much pain, to so much uh, suffering. And he could have stopped it all. You know, we, we say that he could have called 10,000 angels at any moment in time. He could have obliterated everybody and said, nope, this is it. I'm done. Uh, the, the, these people, these these uh, the wicked, uh, the world doesn't deserve a salvation, but he followed through and he was faithful to his father's plan and he gave his life That's so right. that you and I can can be saved and have eternal life. And so uh, this week, I pray for all of you that you would be focused in on the love that came from the cross. It's a cruel, ugly picture, but it's it's love. That's what love looks like uh, mm-hmm. is the cross. And so, Dad, uh, would you pray us out of here? Sure. Let's, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, and we're glad that you love us. And Lord, uh, that love was clearly displayed when Jesus was nailed to that cross. And he took our, our place, the sinner's place, and died to pay the penalty for our sins that we would not have to. Now, Lord, there may be some out there listening to the podcast today. I hope there's many that uh, you're speaking to right now. Uh, They've been touched by the love of God, your love that was displayed in sending your son and what Jesus did to to purchase their salvation. I pray, Lord, that they will respond to your love today as they're convicted of their sin, their sin that was responsible for nailing Jesus to the cross. I pray, Lord, that they will turn away from those sins out of gratitude for what you did for them and confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Trust his death on the cross is payment for their sin. And then after they pray and ask Jesus to forgive them and and ask him to be their Savior and Lord, I pray that they'll get up, they'll put legs to their prayers to start living for you, O God, allowing you to change their life, change them from the inside, may it show outside, change their life, and may they live for you and bring you glory uh, for the rest of their life, Lord. That's what we can do for you. And I pray, Lord God, that if there are those that make decisions to trust Christ, I pray, Lord God, that they would let us know here at the Bonfire Ministry so we can know, our Lord, that, uh, that this has had an impact on people to help them find our Savior and to come to know Him. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonfire Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content. Also, be sure to rate us on iTunes and Facebook so that others will know about the podcast. If you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode, feel free to email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com.